You're listening to the Enhance Your Practice podcast series, brought to you by ASPS University. I'm ASPS University Chair, Dr. Nicholas Panetta, and I invite you to check out all of our educational offerings, from professional surgical videos, courses on practice management, and much, much more at ASPS EdNet. Hello, listener. Welcome to the ASPS University podcast, Enhance Your Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Ash Patel. This episode is titled Monitoring Your Practice, and we're very lucky to be joined today by guest speaker, Dr. Josh Corman. Dr. Corman has been in practice in the San Francisco Bay Area for the past 20 years, and he currently serves as a clinical professor of surgery at Stanford University. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for joining us today. Of course. Happy to be here. Uh, Josh, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, your practice? Yes, my practice is kind of multi-pronged. Uh, my main practice is a surgical practice connected to a multi-specialty surgery center. It is also a uh, site for uh, Stanford University plastic surgery residents to rotate through. So there is a resident there uh, almost every day. And in addition, we have a med spa that's uh, attached to the practice. That is my main practice. Then I have two satellite locations where we primarily do uh, non-surgical uh, treatments with nurses and physician assistants, one in San Jose and one in Carmel. So Josh, we're, we're going to talk about how to monitor your practice with three locations and a busy practice. How do you effectively measure the productivity of each of each area of your practice, whether that's the surgical versus non-surgical in the different locations? So when you look at practices and trying to measure achievement or success or really what's going on with any of them, there's several different uh, measures. I would say that primarily the most important is time and capacity. It's important to figure out if you as the surgeon are working most efficiently and the people that work in your practice, whether it's additional plastic surgeons, additional physicians, or other nurses, physician assistants, or support staff, are they working at capacity? Is the efficiency best optimized? And it is important to look at each one of those capacities as time, productivity, revenue, and lack of what I call drama, that the site is working in a calm, efficient manner. Many of us plastic surgeons are very data-driven, and you know, certainly on the business side, there's a lot of data we can look at. One of the things people like to talk about are KPIs or, or key performance indicators. Are there any KPIs that we should be using to measure success? There are several key performance indicators to measure success with the caveat that it is important to understand what are the priorities because while it is easy to look at data in uh, large settings, it seems that often when plastic surgeons are working either in solo practice or in small group or large group or academic practice, the plastic surgeons themselves are often busy being plastic surgeons. And it is important to recognize that it is impossible, no matter how much you want to and how much you believe you can, that you can look at all the key performance indicators by yourself. So I'll preface the answer about the key performance indicators to saying that while for many years I believed in having the standard office manager 
the person who really has the pulse of the practice. What I found in recent years is that as you grow and if you want to scale, you actually need different kinds of managers, a financial manager, a human resource manager, and an IT manager, and you think, well, I don't want to hire all those people. Well, I understand that they don't have to be all full-time job individuals, but it is important to recognize that you cannot rely only on yourself or putting everything onto one manager. So the key performance indicators come in certain classes. One has to do with staff, personnel, and that relates at some level to as I mentioned before, what are they doing and their efficiencies. Two, another very important key performance indicator is inventory control. Whether you run an academic department or part of a large specialty practice or an individual practitioner, inventory control is a crucial, crucial key performance indicator. Another key performance indicator as relates to patients is your conversion rate or closing rate. And this is not only true for aesthetic offices, also reconstructive offices, but in a setting where patients have choices and in a competitive market, uh, it is very important to look as a key performance indicator is what are the conversion rates? Because if you spend so much time just seeing a lot of patients and you think you're very busy because you have a lot of patients coming, the question is, what happens to them? Do they actually follow through? Do the leads become scheduled patients? Do they become attended patients? Do they become patients who actually proceed with the procedure? These are all very important key performance indicators. And without going to even other areas, in terms of general big picture categories, I think those are all key performance indicators and Ultimately, it's also the plastic surgeon themselves as a key performance indicator. Are you performing at the top of your game? And if not, why not? So Josh, you're in a very much established practice and some of your performance indicators, some of the metrics that you may be looking at may be different to someone who's just entering to practice. So I think for our listeners who are going to be going into practice over the next year or are early in their practice, do you think there are different metrics they should be looking at and how would that change as their practice matures? Of course, at different stages of careers, there are different key performance indicators. One of the most important things for someone in training or just entering practice is to recognize that you have choices and you owe it to yourself for all the effort and time and years that you put into learning both the medical part of medicine and plastic surgery and obviously the surgical techniques. You owe it to yourself since you're going to be spending the vast majority of your life in this area to focus and to learn about what you should be thinking about. Specifically, when you finish training most trainees and I include myself in that, you're just happy to get a job and you just feel lucky that someone's offering you a job and you don't really bother to ask a lot of the hard questions and you should. Obviously, the fear of asking questions are going to make a potential employer not want to hire you is, is you know, you want to be smart about the, how you find these things out. But it is important because a lot of studies show that most plastic surgeons' first job is not their last job. And so it is important to be able to learn not just what your job is going to be in the first year, but what is it going to be like after several years. So the key performance indicators for somebody looking for a job or just starting practice is 
Number one, how am I going to make a living? Two, how am I going to have job satisfaction? Three, what does the data show? Uh, because there is a lot of data for the general zip codes in terms of success rate. It is important to look at many uh, factors as you choose a lifestyle, what kind of position you want. And because we are so much geared towards four years of high school, four years of college, four years of medical school, uh, some number, usually more than that, of residency, I can guarantee you that when you get to some number of years after your, you start your first job, you will be questioning, now what? So the key performance indicators are, again, look first in a mirror. What is it that will keep you at the top of your game? And then how do you start the process to achieve both job satisfaction, uh, people you work with, and economically, uh, the kind of uh, career that you look at as you go through it, and also as you look back on it and smile. Josh, do you use any um, specific tools or um, platforms to help monitor uh, your practice uh, performance data? We use many platforms to monitor our performance data, and it changes I will give you a few examples. There is obviously a patient scheduling program, which comes in several different varieties. There are many choices out there, and obviously every company with a platform is trying to get more customers. And in a lot of ways, a lot of them are the same. And what I would say, and again, I use myself in this example, is what we suffer from so often is how few of the features of the programs whether it's a CRM program or whatever platforms we use, do we actually take advantage of the programs? We learn little bits of it and our managers learn some of it, but there are many, many uh, features. At the same time, I would say, uh, as I mentioned before about inventory, it is very challenging to find a, in my opinion, a good platform that exists for plastic surgery that actually is really good for inventory. So then you're looking at then, okay, now I have to get a special program for inventory. And the programs are and the platforms are getting better all the time. So I'm not trying to say they don't have them. But when you are trying to establish, well, which one do I choose? It's important to look at the features of them. So in our practices, we have a patient management system. We also use QuickBooks, which many people do. There are more advanced programs than that. But those start to get quite expensive. You want to have as much as uh, possible that you can relate the one to the other, that you're not requiring staff to enter data uh, multiple times. You want ones that can keep track of leads. You want ones that can keep track of patients. You want ones that, that interact with each other, that can follow the, the bouncing ball in terms of revenues, in terms of appointments, in terms of keeping track of the patients so that you can, as I said before, keep the ball rolling in an efficient way. So some of, of what we've talked about is very um, particular to to some of the aspects of the practice or even even the individual surgeon. But I'd like to ask you your thoughts about how you monitor the performance of your staff. Monitoring the staff is somewhat of a challenge. I will tell you what, after 20 years, what I do now that I find personally is a little bit of a headache once every other week, but worth it, is I personally do payroll. So I actually... I mean, we have a payroll program, we have a payroll service, but I look and see exactly when the staff 
worked and when they didn't work and when they were missing and when they were absent because they clock in and they clock out. And it is, in my opinion, a, a good way to monitor the staff because otherwise, how would I know? If I'm in the operating room, I have no idea who's there and who's not there. And so I think for me, that's been one way to monitor the staff. The other thing is we, we do try to have, as much as surgeons tend to not like to sit on their butts too much, they like to move around. I do think that uh, meetings or morning huddles or whatever you want to call it are actually good ideas. One of the things about COVID has brought us to the world of Zoom, and uh, it's actually been a good thing because before it was always trying to, to wrangle people in many different locations to come together. So I, I think meetings are good with staff. I think keeping up with them, just like there's so many books on on how to be good leaders. But uh, like I said, I do the payroll. Tell me about marketing. Um, there, I think there are lots of different ways plastic surgeons can, can market themselves, whether that's through conventional media, websites, or social media. What marketing channels do, do you use and, and how do you measure whether they're effective or not? So marketing channels... I, I think you need to be honest with yourself. And when I say honest with yourself, I'm talking about the plastic surgeon. If you feel comfortable having every interaction, every social gathering uh, be another opportunity to have your cell phone with your uh, elbow extended and taking yet another picture of what you had for dinner, who you had dinner with, and posting it on your social media, then I think then that's fine. I personally prefer to eat with a fork and a, and a knife and not a cell phone. So um, I, I'm not that good at, at doing that. So I recognize that. So uh, what I, and I, I'm only being a little facetious. I'm, I'm really not. There's so many people that really are, are on social media a lot. And, and I realize that's certainly a, a way to recruit patients and I have nothing to, against it or anything. I think you just have to know yourself and what, what your style is. I think to have what I do in my office is that some of my nurses are on social media more, more than I am. And so I kind of let them do it. I, I try to be uh, cautious to make sure that I approve everything that gets posted to social media. So there are not any well-meaning, but not appropriate uh, postings. The flip side is I don't I don't think it's so good to just distance yourself too much and then just pay a marketing firm to do it for you because I think that patients, people, the public are pretty smart and they know whether things are coming from you or they're coming from some invisible hand that's that's working for you. So I think you have to figure out who you are and then I I, I do think that there are many business equations or calculations where they say for this much revenue, you should be spending this much percentage on marketing. And, you know, there are famous pictures about what's the difference between marketing and advertising. And, you know, in some ways, advertising is you're trying to say, here, come to me, come to me. Whereas marketing is, you know, like, come to him, come to him, or come to her, come to her. And some people are uh, very clever at how to do marketing, come up with clever ideas. Uh, I think at the end of the day, it's different if people are buying or interested to find a surgeon, whether it's for aesthetic or for reconstructive, than it is if you're buying a car. And so I think it's important to recognize it, but ultimately you should look and, and see what 
what you feel comfortable with, what you feel comfortable doing yourself, what you can get assistance with. And the same way a physician extenders, it's the same thing. Where are your extenders for marketing? Are there any techniques that, that you've used to, to monitor your practice that you, you felt were ineffective or, or not helpful? One of the things that I found for many years is that the whole concept of, do you have a website doctor? How many times was I asked that question? Just like, as I was saying before about knowing about plastic surgery, knowing about, knowing about business, it's a little bit the same dealing with, with websites or digital marketing. Maybe we should put it that way. Because what I learned and spent way too much money and increasingly frustrated in the past was that when you look for someone to host your website or manage your website, you don't really know too much about the back end. And many of these companies have suave salespeople, but they also don't know anything about the back end. And if you ask for something, you want to change something, they have to pass it along to someone who runs the thing on the back end. And I found that after many years of trying to sort through that, that it's better to deal with someone who runs the back end than it is to try to get somebody who will, in dulcet tones, try to say, oh, yes, we're taking care of it, even though basically they're salespeople and they really don't know how to change anything. So I think one thing that is important, it's it's good to find a firm or a company or a person that you can communicate with and you can rely on to evolve with you and not just charge you a lot of money for a website that may look very pretty, but not really clear whether it reaches the people you think it reaches. And the same way that it was, do you have a website doctor uh, for a long time was, oh, we guarantee you'll be on the first page of Google, or we promise this and this. You know, the, the algorithms that the search engines use are very sophisticated. They change all the time. And it's important to learn anything you're going to spend a lot of money on um, whether you're a department chairman or a private practitioner, before you go spend a lot of money on that, it's important to know what is it that they're going to do for you. Was there any other stuff that you wanted to talk about, Josh? I just wanted to reiterate the concept of time, that time is the most precious commodity. And we take it for granted. We watch decades of our lives go by in training, and we turn around and another 10 years has gone by and life is short and it is important to recognize that and doctors and studies have shown this also doctors will be the first one to volunteer for anything oh i'll do it oh i'll help i'll do it i'll help and we like to be appreciated we like to volunteer we like to be recognized and it is important to understand that there are only 24 hours in a day i used to to believe that's true, but there was a lot, and you should get a good night's sleep, but there were a lot of good hours between midnight and 8 a.m. Having said that, it, it is really important to try to prioritize for yourself. And I think if you keep that sense of time, as you look at key performance indicators, uh, no matter where you are in your stage of your career, and obviously plastic surgeons are ambitious, and want to achieve, it's important to not forget how quickly time goes by. If our listeners wanted to, to learn more about the, the topic of monitoring their practice and do a deeper dive on the subject, do you have any suggestions on, on where they might look to get more information? 
So the ASPS website has a whole EdNet portion of the site, which has a lot of good information and a lot of webinars, a unabashed self-promotion for a book that I uh, now written two editions for, along with uh, Heather Furness, uh, called The Business of Plastic Surgery, Navigating a Successful Career, has uh, actually a few chapters uh, in different ways dedicated to this topic. Many of the chapters are actually free on uh, Amazon uh, website or through TMA, the, the publisher. It was the book we put together because these were a lot of questions that we didn't have answers to as we went along the way, and, and that's been helpful. The other thing that's, that's useful is there are many consultants that are very interested in helping and helping doctors of, and plastic surgeons of all levels, and you can uh, find them pretty easily uh, just by searching uh, for them, and they can help you just be careful and and do not sign long contracts without really understanding what you're getting into. You know, a, a wonderful uh, guest speaker for us, um, giving us some really good information to think about. I want to thank you for, for taking time out of your, your busy schedule to talk to us today. It's been my pleasure, and thank you for including me. Thanks again, Josh. Join us on the next episode of Enhance Your Practice, where we'll be talking with ASPS past president, Dr. Deb Johnson, about how to be a good partner in your group practice. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our Enhance Your Practice podcast series, brought to you by ASPS University and our host, Dr. Ash Patel. You can listen to our other episodes on any of the podcast platforms where they are currently available, or you can download recordings directly from ASPS EdNet. New seasons and episodes are coming soon on practice management. Please contact ASPS Education with your feedback and suggestions for future podcast topics. Thank you for tuning in.